from the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv. Sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast. Hello. Hello, Mark. Mark, I don't like you anymore. Obviously. You. I've never liked you, David. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Do you know how hard it is to travel the world with you? Like, month after month, every month, going away somewhere. It's just hell. So that is why you've decided in the month of December, to go away without me, you evil person, you. Do you know, I, I've broken with tradition. I thought I'd go on holiday with my wife. Mine is so good. She hasn't said anything yet, because you and I are travelling a lot. Have you not seen that voodoo doll? No. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you off to? I am going back to Poland. Oh, for goodness sake, how many times? I think this will be my fourth trip. No, we're going to go and try out the um, Krakow Christmas markets. Or Krakow. Or Krakow. Yes. If, if Tarnoff is Tarnul, yes, that it makes could sense. Be Krakow. I don't know. Sorry so again for murdering. Say Krimbo markets. So we're going to look at the Christmas markets. We're going to visit the Jewish quarter. Just taking Krakow, which is, I think, supposedly the nicest city in Poland. I wonder if people in Bialystok would agree with you. So- well, when they stop their horse and cart. <laughs> Isn't that where you're from? <laughs> we'll we'll get onto our routes at some future point, hopefully, when we uh, when we travel to Poland once again. You and me without your wife. So where do you like to go for winter holidays? So, so that's the question. If we take in factor in my other half, she doesn't do cold. So for me, winter, and we live in the northern hemisphere, of course, is all about snow, Christmas markets, and so on. But if you have a wife like mine, she would actually like to be quite antipodean at this time of year. And stand on her head. Absolutely. Actually, I'd quite like to see that. <laughs> oh, the mind boggles. You're going to need a holiday after that. <laughs> so anyway, before we embarrass my wife and I, my wife and I, um, before we do any of that, let's uh, tell everybody what we've got coming up on this pod, which might be of more interest than your and my travels. I think we're going over the Atlantic again. We are, and we're going to be doing it virginally. You don't know what to say now, do you? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a comeback to virgin. Is that even a word, virginally? I, I will find out in the company of uh, the employees of Virgin Atlantic. And then... We're going to South Carolina. Charleston. Da, 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 da. Charleston. We're going to Charleston. North I, I'm Carolina. just staring at you because you were actually trying to dance while I sat down. And I dr- was. Drinking a cocktail. What's in that cocktail, by uh, the way? This cocktail is extremely yummy. Listen to our upcoming Barcelona edition to know what's in this cocktail that I'm drinking. I'll give you a clue. It does include elderflower. We are going to be heading to Charleston to the KKBE. And while you're Googling that... Here's a couple of quiz questions to give you a bit of a hint of what's to come on today's show. Question number one. Steve Fawcett is famous for doing what in a Virgin Atlantic aircraft in February 2005? No rude answers, please. And question number two. Established in 1886, what was the name of Charleston's first baseball team? The answers at the end of the pod. Remember back in the 1980s? Do you remember the 1980s? I 
didn't he? I was born. <laughs> Dad. As you may be able to tell, both of us have been um, tippling a little bit in the run-up to this particular broadcast. In the 1980s, still today, but particularly in the 80s, there was a rather colourful character by the name of Richard Branson. Uh, he was... And still is. And still is, but he was Virgin. He was the chairman of Virgin. He had the record store beforehand. He, he, he was just this somewhat eccentric English dude who owns an island in the Caribbean, apparently with a rather nice hotel on it. He did start by selling student magazines. That was his original. Right. And then it just grew and grew from there. Taking it all the way up to Corona times, and let's mention your wife once again, because... Her first trip post-Corona was to Post-Corona? It's finished. Oh, it's gone. Okay, it's it's gone. Post-lockdowns and Ah. and the ability to travel. Her first trip was back, obviously, to see her family. And she went to England from Israel, flying Virgin. And she could not have been happier. She went on and on and said, you have to get Virgin on the pod. You must speak to Virgin. They're brilliant. So that's what we did. We are in conversation now with Virgin Atlantic. The first thing we want to do is hear all about our guests. My name's Justin Bell, and I'm the country manager for Virgin Atlantic in Israel. Hi, guys. Uh, my name's Rami Eldershan. Uh, I'm head of clubhouses for Virgin Atlantic, which is basically anything to do with airport lounges for this fantastic airline. I, I have a great opportunity to talk about and, uh, and influence. I think I was at the Virgin launch party or one of the launch events in late 2019 in Israel. It's been a tough couple of years um, since late 2019. Are there better times on the horizon? This recording couldn't have come at a better time. Today was the the first day of US borders reopening to uh, non-US nationals. We had a a pre-COVID numbers here in our Heathrow clubhouse, which is where I'm sat now. It was really a a fantastic signal for us that times are changing. You know, we are seeing a significant burst in this first week of return. We will slowly, I have no doubt, march back to pre-COVID numbers in the coming year. It's certainly been a tough couple of years. We started flying into Tel Aviv two years ago. We obviously couldn't foresee what was about to happen. Fortunately for us, we were very excited to start flying to Tel Aviv. Our journey into Tel Aviv couldn't have started any better. We had amazing support from the Israeli travelling public. We had great support from the trade in both the UK and in Israel when we started up. And the route actually outperformed many of our our sort of expectations at the time. We were all guns blazing. We're delivering something that the Israeli customer appreciated and wanted. So obviously when COVID-19 hit, the aviation world was turned on its head. We weren't immune to that. And we've obviously been through a tough 18 months having to navigate our way through what is undoubtedly the the toughest challenge this industry has, has ever faced. The good news is, though, as we've evolved as a, as a business, we've been able to react nimbly and returned uh, to many of our routes along the way, including Tel Aviv. The London route is perhaps the most competitive out of Tel Aviv. What differentiates Virgin from the rest? Our vision as a business is, is to embrace the human spirit and let it fly. I'll focus on the word human because for me, it it encapsulates so much of why we are uh, as successful as we are in the markets we fly to. Many customers will buy a ticket based on price, 
based on the route you fly. They may even purchase because you have a good frequent flyer program, you, you, you reward their loyalty. But I think when you fly with Virgin and you, you, you think about where you're going to spend your hard-earned savings or your money on your next air ticket, you want to be thinking about traveling with a company that has real purpose. You start thinking about, I want to fly with a company that cares about people, cares about the environment. If you think about some of the, the conversations that are taking place around the environment right now, I want to be doing business with a company that cares. And, and we've got really good heritage when it comes to the environment. We were the first airline to actually carry out a, a, a biofuel flight back in 2008. And we've been sort of leading the way ever, ever since, working with partners all, all through the years to try and develop uh, sustainable air fuel. And we're one of the founders of the Jet Zero Council. So we're serious about it and it means a lot. And who doesn't want to save the world? You know, who doesn't want to do the right thing by the planet? But you also start thinking about wanting to invest your money in, in a business that, that cares about people, that has a really healthy attitude towards diversity and creating a workplace where people love to work. Because as a business, that's ultimately what you want. You want your people to flourish. You want them to do the amazing jobs that you, you bring them into the business to do. And from somebody who's wanting to buy an air ticket, once you get past the basics of how much is it, is it competitively priced? Are they a good airline? Do they go where I want to go? I want to start relating on, on different levels like that. You said that uh, the um, flights to America have, uh, have opened up from today. That's probably very important if you're flying from Tel Aviv to New York. Can you now do that flight via London? And if you're not going to New York, where else can you go to from London? All the way through the pandemic, the route that you've just outlined Tel Aviv to, to New York has been really important for us, even when a lot of borders have been closed. At one point on our Heathrow New York flight, we had up to 30 to 40% of all customers started their journey in Tel Aviv. So it's always been a really important route for us for people flying indirect and and our facilities have always tried to our best to accommodate that you know we've we ensure we have a world-class kosher offering in our clubhouse um, at Heathrow we have a wide selection of kosher wines for example which, which I would put my hand up I know I'm probably a bit biased here but put my hand up to say that one of the finest kosher wine collections in any airport lounge in the world so we've always understood that that's really an important route for people from Tel Aviv and, and, and to New York but we also fly to a variety of additional routes which are you know the U.S. reopening is is such an important part of um, of who we are as an airline you know we've got the word Atlantic in our name so the U.S. has always been really important to us Boston is a key destination one which which continues to grow in importance for us uh, San Francisco as well there's a huge obviously tech heart within Tel Aviv you know it is the new Silicon Valley and connecting San Francisco to Tel Aviv is a, is a classic example of you see that sort of intellectual capacity reaching across the pond there. You mentioned the kosher wine collection which always makes me prick my ears up I don't want to use the word lounge because that's probably not what you want to call it. But you, you're obviously the head of clubhouses. Can you tell me about Virgin's clubhouses? I do sort of look scornfully at someone whenever they call it an airport lounge. I say, no, no, it's not an airport lounge. It's a clubhouse. It's a clubhouse. Very big difference. <laughs> so, and, and, and the reason for that is the rationale as to why we don't call it an airport lounge is because we don't necessarily see our competitors as other airport lounges. It's what are the finest members clubs offering for, for, for their members what are the finest restaurants offering finest hotels so so for us we like to compare ourselves to those categories more than 
perhaps an airport lounge. So, so for example, here at the, at the clubhouse at Heathrow, we have a selection of Peloton bikes for all those health nuts, particularly people transferring. We see that as a big opportunity. If you're stopping in Heathrow for a few hours, yes, you want to join us for some food and drink, but actually why not get a 40 minute spin class in before you do that? We've just invested in a brand new retreat which we have, which have cabanas for people to, to relax, do meditation, to just find that, that headspace for them. All those other elements and things you think of when you think of an airport lounge, you know, amazing food, a la carte. You won't find a buffet in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse. It's, it's all about table service. It's all about restaurant quality food and drink to make the journey as exciting when you get to the airport as much as your destination. And we've seen just today, for example, we, we've seen customers join us five, six hours before their flight because they know what they're going to expect in a clubhouse. And they, they want that experience as much as possible, as much as their, their actual holiday. On the ground, it's fun and good food and getting fit. What about the onboard experience for passengers? There's a similar theme, to be honest with you. I mean, when, we, when we're looking at uh, all of our routes individually, we're obviously trying to make sure we have menus on board that particularly cater for that particular traveller. One thing that's really important at the moment, of course, however, we're still in a COVID world. What's really important at the moment is that there's a big focus around, around safety on flights and that customers feel safe on board so there's a lot of work that we've got that's gone into from our point of view in terms of making sure that customers feel safe when they when they are when they're traveling and, and have faith that that they're traveling in a, a safe environment the other things we we do on board uh, around around the service to try and make sure the in-flight experience is as pleasant as possible is is a real focus on entertainment as well we've got fantastic in-flight entertainment system on board all of our aircraft with a, a wide range of movies tv shows computer games Onboard Wi-Fi on all of our aeroplanes. People can't live without Wi-Fi these days. I know I can't. And then we wrap absolutely amazing service around all of those things, you know, with with great people. The, the feedback we get from our customers about our, the service our, our onboard crews offer is wonderful. They do an incredible job. We work hard to make sure we have the right people wrapped around all of our, our services, whether they're on the ground or in the air. We really believe and understand the value of a social space on board. We were the first pioneers of having a, a bar space on board for our for our upper class customers. And yes, you know, there is the alcohol element. You can get alcohol on any flight, but actually what people really crave is that interaction, whether it's with, with old friends who they happen to be traveling with or new people to meet for the first time. And we've, we've always encouraged that environment where people feel like they can have that quiet time on their own. You know, we really invest in the value of sleep. Or if you if you want to come and have a conversation, come and come and talk to us. Particularly for long haul travel, sometimes it can get a bit lonely if you're traveling on your own for business. Uh, so just really investing in that social element to make sure people have that opportunity to engage with with uh, with others on board. It's mid November twenty one. Can you give me the details of the Tel Aviv route? How often do you fly and at what times? Right now we're flying a daily service into Tel Aviv. So our flights depart Heathrow in the evening departing at uh, quarter past nine in the evening and arriving into Tel Aviv at 4.15 in the morning, bright and early. For the return, our flights leave at five minutes past six in the morning, getting into Heathrow at 9.40, which is a great time for connecting onto our, our US flights. Justin Bell and Rami Eldashan, thank you for your time and thank you also for bringing to life the passion and care that you have for customers and for the company that you work for. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate your time. 
Virgin Atlantic Fact File Virgin Atlantic took to the skies in 1984. At the time, its parent brand owned a music label and record stores. The fleet comprises more than 30 aircraft, Airbus A330s and 350s and Boeing 787s, with more on order. The aircraft have an average age of just six years, making the fleet the youngest in the sky. The company first flew to Tel Aviv from London Heathrow in September 2019. The Tel Aviv route is operated by Virgin Atlantic's A330-300. From its London hub, you can connect to most major US cities, much of the Caribbean, Johannesburg and Cape Town, Lagos, Nigeria, and destinations across Asia. Virgin Atlantic dares to be different, giving its aircraft glamorous names such as Scarlett O'Hara, Ruby Murray, and Miss Moneypenny. The company has some seven clubhouses in the UK, US and South Africa. Elsewhere, it offers shared lounges. And now it's time for the news with the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Israel opened to vaccinated tourists on November 1st, subject to testing and quarantine on arrival. A week later, the US changed its regulations, opening its borders to vaccinated travelers rather than just on a country-by-country basis. Norwegian Cruise Lines became the fourth company to announce it'll offer cruises from Haifa port in 2022. Norwegian Epic will sail an 11-day round-trip cruise in November next year. The Epic joins Mano's Crown Iris, MSC's Lyrica, and Royal Caribbean's Rhapsody of the Seas. Emirates Airlines launches a daily Dubai to Tel Aviv route starting December 6th. The flight timings from Tel Aviv will offer travellers convenient access to major leisure destinations beyond Dubai like Thailand, the Indian Ocean Islands and South Africa among others. Pangaea has replaced Check to Fly for pre-flight Covid testing at Ben Gurion Airport after winning a legal battle. Prices for slower tests result after 14 hours, doubling price to 80 shekels or $26. The luxury David Kempinski Hotel in Tel Aviv will open for business in February. The 34-floor hotel includes a three-floor suite with its own pool, a house of Macallan whiskey lounge and a Cohiba cigar bar. Mark, when you and I were kids... About 20 years apart. Yeah, would you stop doing... Do you know what? When we go out somewhere, Mark will turn around to the waiter and say something like, I'll have a whiskey. Can you bring an orange juice for my father? And a blanket. It's quite unbelievable. Anyway, given that you and I were in university in the same year... That's because you kept repeating for 20 years. <laughs> for goodness sake. Can we, can we get back to the podcast? <laughs> Sorry. When we were kids... How did you view going to synagogue? Well, I went through phases when I went because I was seven and they gave sweets out <laughs> and then I stopped going and then I went because I had a bar mitzvah and then I stopped going and then I got dragged by my ear because my family were more religious and then I stopped going. So it, it varied. But I think you've described the experience of probably many Jewish people listening to this. 
But it's only been as an adult, and I'm assuming I'm speaking for you as well, that we realise that a synagogue is not only a place of worship, but also somewhere that's worth visiting as a tourist to learn about the rich history of the Jewish people in general, and very often about one specific place. You mean Charleston? Well, we could do Charleston, I suppose. Why not? All right, so Charleston in South Carolina in the US of A has one of the oldest synagogues in the United States. To find out more, we spoke with Mark Swick, who's the executive director of Kahal Kadosh Beth Elohim, which is also known as KKBE. And first, we heard from his colleague, past president and docent at the synagogue, Anita Moyes-Rosenberg. Our familial ancestors came to the Carolina colony, later called South Carolina, seeking a better way of life, having been exiled from Spain and Portugal in 1492. I'm a docent and keeper of our historic records at KKBE and its museum as a protector of our history as we move forward into the future. I'm KKBE's executive director, previously a congregant and a proud member of the congregation. It's my pleasure to serve the congregation today. You're no longer a proud member. (laughs) I continue to be, yeah, now now they pay me to be a proud member. Uh, (laughs) Can you tell us about the history of the community? I believe it goes back to before George Washington. You're absolutely right. Carolina was actually chartered in 1663 by King Charles II of England. It was a proprietary colony, and he gave our little bit of Charleston, which is a peninsula. So we got Lord Anthony Ashley Cooper, the Earl of Shaftesbury, got our little patch of land, and hence our big rivers are named the Ashley and the Cooper Rivers. They had to get people to come here. It was a business venture. Lord Anthony Ashley Cooper went to his secretary and said, we need to invite people to come, write a constitution. So our very first constitution was written by John Locke, the philosopher, and it invited Jews, heathens, whom we think may have been the Native Americans, and anybody who dissented from the Anglican church. We were guaranteed the opportunity to worship as we saw fit, to work as we saw fit, As early as the 1720s, men could own land and thereby they could vote. This was unheard of in the world. We were invited to settle in this happy land and we've been known as this happy land and a portion of the people ever since. If someone visits KKBE, do they get a feel of that, a sense of that? What is the experience like in visiting the synagogue? We are open for docent-led tours, so we have lots of visitors. They come in, we greet them at the front door, we then show them where they will be walking on our tour. We have beautiful murals that depict our history back to the very beginning, and we have a magnificent sanctuary. Our Greek revival is our second sanctuary on this very site. The first one, having burned in the Great Fire of Charleston in 1838, that 1792 building was gone. So we have this beautiful Greek revival, which people will see all over Charleston. It was very much the fad to have Greek revival in 1840 when we rebuilt the building. 
So the visitor gets a chance to go into the sanctuary. It's just a, a wonderful experience. As we bring them out of the sanctuary, we go across the hall into our museum. The museum depicts our history. It's part of what was a traveling exhibit, which was sponsored by the College of Charleston's Jewish Heritage Collection in the Addlestone Library. So that is another site that you might want to investigate for your visitors. It, of course, has been closed this year. KKBE sits on the Charleston Museum Mile. Are there other things worth visiting on that museum mile? Many, many things. The Charleston Museum is right across from the Visitor's Center. The Gibbs Gallery of Art is just a phenomenal place to visit. And there are historic houses, which would be called museums as well. So you can go to the Aiken Red House, the Nathaniel Russell House, there are many. It's not something you can do in one day. It's a big project to hit everything on the museum mile. And moving away from the mile, what else is there in Charleston to visit? So many things bring people to Charleston very happily. So that the history being likely top among them, but Charleston is also a beach community. Visitors love to uh, visit the beach. We have incredible dining. The uh, food and beverage scene in Charleston has been and continues to be booming with, uh, with new restaurants opening all the time. And it's just a beautiful city to visit. It's accessible. It's easy to walk around. You can take a carriage tour or ride bikes. A lot of people talk about the charm of Charleston, and, and that's what a lot of our visitors seem to enjoy as well. We have beautiful gardens, and the house and garden tours are well advertised. So in the spring, you have one set of house and garden tours that visitors can walk around, and in the fall, you have a different set. So it depends on when people are here, what is open and accessible, but it's readily available online. A lot of our listeners keep Shabbat, keep kosher, whether they're from North America, Europe, or obviously Israel. Is there provision for somebody who is, let's call them the kosher traveler? There is an Eruv in downtown Charleston. And for, one in the suburbs. And one in the suburbs, correct. And West Ashley has an Eruv as well uh, around a Jewish community there in downtown where most visitors end up staying and spending the majority of their time. There's an Eruv sort of centered around the modern Orthodox synagogue, Bruce Shalom Beth Israel, which is about a mile and a half from KKBE. As far as kosher dining, it's limited but available. We often connect people with a kosher caterer, Marcy Rosenberg, who runs Dining In. She caters to visitors on a regular basis. During the academic year between September and May, the College of Charleston has a kosher dining hall called Marty's Place. It's also vegan vegetarian. A uh, popular tourist destination on Meeting Street, Hyman's Seafood, offers plenty of trafe options, but they also have a kosher oven that is uh, where they prepare meals prepared by the Chabad Rebetzin, so you're able to get a fully kosher meal at Hyman's Seafood. Um, and then there's a wonderful cookie spot on uh, Upper King Street called King Street Cookies. They're also fully kosher. You've sold in a brief way, but you've sold beautifully Charleston and, of course, at the centre of it, your synagogue and your museum. But Where an added attraction yeah. is our historic cemetery where the graves go back to the 1700s. So your visitor could complete the KKBE tour and then we would take them to the historic cemetery where they would have another tour which is probably about 45 minutes long. And if they're searching an ancestor, which happens all the time, 
we try to help them with that as well. And we tour around the cemetery and give them this beautiful brochure and they have an addition to their wonderful visit. Assuming that bar and bat mitzvahs and weddings come before visits to cemeteries, where are you located? How do people find where you are? We're in the heart of historic downtown Charleston. We're on Hazel Street in between Meeting and King Streets, which are sort of the main arteries into downtown Charleston. Visitors coming from the airport are able to find downtown Charleston straight off the main highway, which is I-26 from any downtown hotel were a quick uh, pedicab or often walk away from uh, just about any spot downtown. Luckily, downtown Charleston is fairly condensed as far as a uh, an urban city, and we're a smaller city, so to get around is not hard to do at all. How do people get in contact with you to organize a, a visit to KKBE? We hope that your listeners and other visitors will visit kkbe.org and especially kkbe.org slash visit, where we have information about tours, tour times and prices, as well as plenty of information about the congregation, our history and the congregation that we are today. A great big thank you to Mark Swick, Executive Director, and Anita Moyes-Rosenberg, past president and docent at Kahal Kadosh Beth Elohim in Charleston, South Carolina. Thank you. Thank you. Charleston Fact File. Airlines flying into Charleston International Airport include American, Delta, United, Southwest, JetBlue, Alaska, and Frontier. You can fly direct from most major US cities. It takes around 20 minutes by car from the airport to downtown Charleston. As with most American airports directly outside baggage claim, you'll find an array of taxis, hotel shuttles, ride-sharing, and bus services. Kahal Kadosh Beth Elohim is located in the heart of historic Charleston, just around the corner from the Old City Market and the Gibbs Museum of Art. Hotels near the synagogue include the Renaissance, Indigo Inn, Emmeline, Charleston Place, Francis Marion and Ryder Hotels. Vegetarian and vegan restaurants in the city include Neon Tiger, Monza and Basil. You can eat a Shabbat meal at Chabad of Charleston in the Mount Pleasant area. Charleston's climate is subtropical, that means hot, sultry summers and mild winters. The average summer temperature is 78 to 82 Fahrenheit or 25 to 28 Celsius, with winter temperatures that drop to 47 to 52 or 8 to 11. A big thank you to Justin, Rami, Anita and Mark for being on the show today. And at this point, we implore you, we beg, we are on bended knee, please. Would you like help up? I can't, I'm too old. And remember, I'm your dad. So, folks, it would be great if you would subscribe. So hit that button that says subscribe or follow. Write a little review. It can just be like three words, as long as those three words are really, really nice. If you don't like us, either lie or don't write a review. And please, please share with your friends. And if you really like the podcast, there are 20 other podcasts that we have produced. Go back through Podbean or whatever podcast provider you're listening and find our travel podcasts and give them a listen. They're good. They're very good. Let's finish off with the answers to our quiz questions, which, of course, you're dying to hear. 
Question number one. Steve Fawcett is famous for doing what in a Virgin Atlantic aircraft in February 2005? And the answer is he single-handedly circumnavigated the globe in Virgin Atlantic's lightweight global flyer plane, making the 25,000-mile trip on a single tank of fuel. One word answer. Yeah, I'm very, very impressed. And you knew all that from your head. I actually said he went up in a balloon to... to he did go up in a balloon. To space. He went up in a balloon, but that was before. And then he did this. With Richard Branson. Sir. I don't think he was a sir at the time, was he? Oh, I don't know. We're going to have to Google that. Go- and question number two. Shh, Mark. Shh. Established in 1886, what was the name of Charleston's first baseball team? And the answer... Ooh. The Charleston Pigeons. (laughs) It was the Seagulls. What else have we got to tell everybody? Bye-bye. Bye-bye.